Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Luke Landis with me. Luke is the founder of award-winning personal finance blog, Consumerism Commentary. Welcome. Thank you, George. Happy to be here. Thanks for being here, Luke. Tell me how and why you started Consumerism Commentary, and what were you doing prior to it? Okay, sure. How I started it? Well, um, when I started Consumerism Commentary, I was already uh, I had a lot of experience with blogging. Um, I started blogging back in about 1994, so it wasn't called blogging back then. But uh, you know, there were websites that you could have, and you could update them manually to just write about your life or write about whatever you wanted to keep your friends and family aware of. And uh, so I had been doing that for a long time. It wasn't so it's like until... more like just personal stuff that you would uh, write about online or was it something specific in terms of topic? The topics uh, were kind of all over the place. I mean, it was all personal in nature, but, uh, you know, it was... Um, I wrote about the various projects I was involved in. I wrote about, um, you know, how I was feeling. You know, it, it, it just ran all over the place. And so how come you started so early? I mean, most people didn't even have an email address before 1995. Actually, most people didn't even know what an email address was in, in 1994, right? I mean, if I remember yeah. correctly. No, you're right. And uh, I had some early exposure to the Internet, Um I was uh, I was in middle school actually. And this is in the 80s um, and uh, towards 1990, and uh, my mother worked at a university, and uh, she had an internet account, uh, which wasn't you know there was no web back then. It was basically uh, like a command line that you would log into, and you can do some interesting things. You could read news groups um which was all you know all text based and it was uh it was a way to communicate with with other people online uh, about a variety of topics one of my favorite uh to uh read about was uh Doctor Who the uh, TV show and uh another favorite of mine was just you know science news groups uh TV news groups various things like that and basically the only people who participated in this were other people who worked at universities for the most part or other research institutions because that's all who had access to the internet back then. And uh so you could get into some pretty deep discussions. One of the one of the first things I talked about when I was um when I was, you know, I was pretty young. I was I was in middle school. I, I wrote one of my first posts on the internet was a question to a news group asking if time travel was really possible. And of course, that's like this, you know, crazy question. And the funny thing is that the responses that I got were from some of the, you know, leading astrophysicists and, um, you know, quantum mechanics and, you know, all of these people who are seriously working on that issue. And they, you know, they answered my question as if, as if I, you know, weren't a kid. I was some kind of, you know, you know, interested researcher in the topic. So it was really neat to see. And so that, that was the beginning of the Internet experience for me. And it was in, you know, I, I started a bulletin board system when I was in high school. So friends and strangers would use their computers modems to dial into my computer and there would be places to leave messages for each other. Uh, there would be, you know, a, there would be ways for people to download and share files. It was, uh, you know, pretty, um, pretty primitive compared to what's there now. 
And it was when I was in college that the web came out. And that was, uh, you know, early 90s, 93, 94. And, um, you know, the, my university was one of the first to have uh, a website um, for their university. And uh, every dorm room was wired to the Ethernet, uh, which was still, you know, very rare back in those days. And so we all had direct connections to the in the to the ether through to the computer the, to the university's um, network, and that was all through the internet as well. So we all had internet email addresses, and um, and then you know about one year into college, basically the, the the web started getting you know more people more people started getting websites, and I found out how to install a website server on my computer in my dorm so I ran one out of my computer starting in 1994. So that's when I really started, you know, building things on the web. And so you started consumerism commentary in 2003, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I'd been running, you know, personal w websites Was that then. your first attempt at at do doing business online or or no? Well, it wasn't even an attempt at doing business online in 2003. It was just another blog for me to write about my experiences and things I was learning about. Um, it didn't really turn into a business. Well, it, it turned into a business pretty soon after that, um, considering um, you know how much time has been, you know how much how, how much time the site's been around since then. But I didn't even think about you know earning any money from the site till about. Uh, about a year and a half later, and uh, so by that, like mid two thousand four or close to two thousand five is when yeah, you started I, to earn with uh, with that with that site at all. Yeah, I think I put the first AdSense ad on the site, and AdSense was still pretty new, and it was still uh, not completely um, favorably looked upon um, by people, but more and more blogs were starting to put advertising on their blogs. Um, so I thought that I would try try it out, see what happens. I put it, I put AdSense onto consumerism commentary, and I think it took about six months to earn that first check to cross that $100 threshold for AdSense. Um, so roughly then, you've been blogging because by 2003 we were plug we called it blogging right or made yeah. close to that so you were blogging about 2 years before you made your first $100 approximately yeah i think that's about right and were you frustrated at all or you didn't even think of the money part at that point no i wasn't frustrated at all because i was writing about something i was interested in writing about i was um finding other people who were interested in the same sorts of things and there was no thought of turning it into a business uh, that didn't come until much later for me. So, you know, I'm not a typical entrepreneur. I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur in that I started this project that I was really passionate about. And uh, eventually it became something that became more it became popular enough to not only gain an audience, but to have companies that were. So. So, Luke, tell me, that would provide. You, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, your connection is a little bit, uh, I don't know, going in and out. Okay, but anyway, uh, if you can't hear me, just let me know. But basically, I just want the audience to get a feel because sometimes people start blogging and, you know, if, if in the after two, three months, you know, they can't earn a substantial amount of money, they get frustrated. So, and I really like what you're telling me about, you know, that it took a couple of years for you even to make $100. What is your take on somebody starting a blog today? What is a reasonable expectation for somebody to say, yeah, 
is going to be a business? What what should they look out for? What should they expect? Well, I think you should give it some time. Um, six months is is probably a good amount of time to give it a try, but you have to really put in the effort during that six months. And what is that? What does that mean? What kind of effort should they put in? Well, it depends on what the business is. Um, consumerism commentary is basically just content, just writing articles, and uh, you know that's that's not really a business by itself. I mean. You know, it's it's really following the old um, the old newspaper method of you know, well, we're writing articles, we have a circulation, and we're selling you know eyeballs to advertisers based on that circulation, and uh, that may not be enough these days in order to really build a good business because there are so many people out there um, doing very similar things, and the competition is high. So unless you've got um, you know, really a perfect combination of of things that that um, that work out well for your particular niche. Then, so what do you think would it take? Let's say if you started today, mm-hmm. if if consumerism commentary, you started in 2014, how would you have to do it differently than than the way you started out initially over 10 years ago? Sure. Well, I would have had to do a lot of things differently if I were starting it today, um, because the fields that I tend to write about is so crowded. Um, you need to stand out a lot more. Um, it was easy for me in 2003 because there weren't any other personal finance blogs at the time, and uh, it wasn't a topic that people were um, looking for so much until until we kind of, um, you know, the early bloggers and I kind of made it into this, uh, you know, thing that encouraged other people to really listen to what we had to say. Um, you know, now people are looking for that and they have a lot of choices. So you've got to market yourself a lot more. You've got to make really good choices about marketing. Um, you know, like the name consumerism commentary probably wouldn't fly today because it isn't catchy like like Skype or Tinder or or Flickr or, you know, Twitter or mm-hmm. all these other, you know, these other branding, these really strong brands that really connect with people. Consumerism commentary doesn't really fit into that mold. Um, so, you know, one thing you want to think about is is really learning how to market yourself a, a very strongly and to prove to the prove to your audience why they should be listening to you. Um, they, they should take their time and listen to you and not some other, you know, any of the other established websites that are out there. So you have been doing this for over 10 years. And uh, so you started early and that was a big advantage for you. But, you know, since you started, as you, as you mentioned, there's a lot more competition today. Do you, does it change your business? Does it change how you do business as a result of that? Well, I think I... Um I was I was able to uh, exit before I needed to change. I think um, you know I kind of exited consumerism commentary when it was at the top of its game, uh, which which was really good for me. I think um, you know if I were to still want to if if I still owned the site and I still was trying to maintain that level of revenue, I'd have to be scrambling to come up with a lot of different things in order to maintain that. Um, primarily because of increased competition. You know, there are a lot of people that are, you know, being innovative in this space and I'm not really being innovative anymore. I think innovation is one of those keys that, that draws people to you. And if you're still kind of doing the same stuff that you did in 2003, um, you know, I've, I've evolved the site since then, but there are a lot of things that people are doing in this space right now that I am purposefully not doing. So can you talk about your exit at all? Uh, can you share uh, the story behind it at all? 
Well, yeah, I can I can share the story behind uh, behind it. It was, um, you know, I'd been uh, consumerism commentary was continually growing over the course of, uh, you know, from 2003 to 2011 um, and uh, re- was really building up some momentum. And, uh, you know, basically I, there were a lot of advertisers who were coming to me and they said, you know, we really want to put our advertising on your site. And I had so many different types of offers that, you know, basically I had to say no to a lot of people because, you know, there's only so much room, first of all. And second of all, some advertisers wish to have some kind of exclusive, you know, rights to advertising on the site. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was turning down a lot of companies, and one of the companies that I turned down um, wasn't so happy about the fact that, you know, at least in my impression of what was going on, and you know, perhaps they would have a different story to tell, they weren't so happy with the fact that I was continually telling them, no, there's this better advertising offer out there that's doing really, really well for me, and I don't want to change that right now. So if this company, you know, this company was probably very frustrated with that, and they figured, well, you know. Let's just buy the site, and then we can um, we can get the benefit of advertising on the site. And one of the reasons they wanted to advertise on the site was because um, many of the search terms that consumerism commentary was ranking well for were the search terms that they wanted to have for themselves. I mean, they wanted to be represented in the sites that were coming up with those search terms. Okay. So, um, you know, they, they basically, you know, out of the blue, they 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 threw out an offer to buy the site. And, um, you know, that kind of got me thinking seriously about, you know, by, by now I had already been approaching consumerism commentary as if it were a business, but now I was, you know, actually starting to think about, well, this is not just a business, but it's, you know, this is providing a lifestyle for me. And if I could, you know, improve this, I could get, I could probably get even better offers than this. Um, so, I, uh, you know, I told them, thanks for the offer. You know, I'll think about it and I'll let you know. And can you uh, share what that offer was? I'm I, I can't really share any numbers right now because I'm still there's still a you know very specific contract that I've signed that prevents mm-hmm. me from from sharing those kind of details. But okay. the offer was you know it was it was an offer that I didn't think that really represented the potential of the site. Mm-hmm. It was still a really big number that you know you know it was um, still you know. P- several multiples more than I was working in my day job, which was, which I was still working at at the time. Consumerism commentary was just a side project for me. So I decided to really take the time to build up the site and, um, you know, work with the right people who could really help improve the site in terms of building revenue. So that's when I really started focusing on the business aspect of things after I kind of got that, got that lowball offer and it paid off because, you know, eventually, you know, I started, um, we, we got back into these the discussions and I worked with a broker, uh, an investment banker who would help, uh, who helped go through this, this, this process of selling the site. And I was able to, you know, get several bids from several different companies and it really paid off in the end in terms of, um, in terms of final sale price. And when did you sell the business? In, uh, at the end of 2011. 2011. Yeah. All right. And what are you doing since then? Uh, well, go ahead. I've I've continued to work on the site and I'm still uh I'm still uh writing there so I'm basically a consultant for the company that purchased it and uh you know uh I'm I'm pulling back my writing this year and I'll and I'm looking forward to other projects at this point but uh but you know I've I've spent basically every day even after the sale still working on the site almost every day slowing down now but how how has it has it changed you at all 
since you had this, I don't know if we can call it exit or sale or whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. Has it changed you as an entrepreneur? Has it changed your outlook on business in general? It, it has changed my outlook a little bit. I mean, it's given me um, a little bit more flexibility. Uh, you know, leading up to the sale, the, 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 the website was earning quite a bit of money. So if, if there was any change in lifestyle, it probably happened earlier than the sale. But I haven't really changed my lifestyle, the way I live much, but I have, you know, changed in terms of what I'm looking to do next. I mean, I I have a lot more options open to me. I can invest in a company if I feel like it. I can I can provide capital. I can provide expertise. Um, you know, people seem to be interested in, in hearing what I have to say in terms of business advice. So there are a lot of different things that I can do at this point that probably I wouldn't have been able to or I wouldn't have had the authority to do if I didn't go through the sales process. So uh, you mentioned that uh, you have worked with an investment banker during this uh, this process. Yeah. Uh, can you give us an idea what level of revenue one's business should have to start talking with an investment banker, uh, even if the exit is maybe a year or two down the road? Yeah. Um, in fact, this is one thing when I first started working with this particular investment banker, he, you know, gave me kind of a guideline as far as who he normally works with. And, uh, you know, I don't remember whether he said um, that they typically, you know, won't look at anything unless it's, I don't remember whether it was an annual revenue or a total valuation, um, but the the threshold seemed to be a million dollars. And of course, different investment bankers are going to have different, you know, priorities. Um, this is, the, the one that I worked with, the company that I worked with was recommended from um, by some uh, by some other bloggers who had gone through or were going through at the time a very similar process in terms of exit. Uh, how did how did uh, how did they work with you in terms of making your business more sellable? Uh, did they in, in, in introduce some new systems or did they change your books? Uh, you know, how did they your company? How did they make it more presentable, so to speak, or maybe more sellable? Well, um, the only thing that uh, in in that respect that they did was that they have they had a lot of um, connections to investors and other buyers. Um, who could um, put in different offers and that would theoretically, um, you know, having more of an auction feel to it or they can reach out to their partners, they can get more people involved in this or more people interested in the site. They didn't actually um, in, get involved with the day-to-day business or, or really suggest anything else other than to keep growing it, which was what I was doing anyway. Um, so their role was restricted to kind of, you know, evaluating and um, communicating with with potential buyers. Can you uh, share your experience building online communities? Uh, Because I would imagine that had a big impact on your business overall. Um, What kind of skills uh, you have for that and what is your recommendation for for other businesses out there to try to build an online community around their brands? Sure. Um, well, I, I consider myself as being a part of you know, there's kind of like two communities. There's there's first this community that I've built from the website uh, itself. So the consumerism commentary community. And that may not be as strong as some other communities, uh, you know, or b- as big, but it's pretty strong. And the ability to do that has come from, uh, you know, my experience doing that long before consumerism commentary. Like I mentioned earlier, I was running a bulletin board service, um, bulletin board system from my home computer when I was a teenager out of 
you know, when I was in high school. And that gave me, you know, a good handle on how to deal with computer systems, first of all, uh, but secondly, dealing with people who are interacting with each other. And you want to foster a nice community. So you want to kind of, um, it's, it's the person, it, the person has a role to, um, to shape the community, um, you know, that, that best suits what they're doing. And uh, I had, I had a lot of experience doing that. So that, that really helped out the other community that I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The other community that, you know, I really see is the community of colleagues, um, which, you know, again, is something that um, I had a lot of experience dealing with. Um, you know, I was I was always one of the, uh, you know, kind of a peer leader in various respects throughout high school and college. And, you know, even even after that, um, you know, basically, you know, it came from working pretty hard at various things and not being afraid to give myself completely to other people in order to, to help, um, to help them be leaders as well. And uh, that really started out, out nicely with consumerism commentary because the site was among, you know, the first personal finance blogs that were out there. So a lot of us, you know, early people kind of got together and we, you know, really worked hard to foster a very strong sense of community among all of the other financial bloggers. And the community has really grown pretty big. So how do you do that? Uh, I would imagine that maybe some people would be defensive about it because, you know, in a sense, you're competitors. But from what I, the sense I get from you is it's actually very beneficial for everyone to do that. How do you how do you approach these peers so they think of you as someone that would benefit their business as opposed to somebody that maybe wants to steal their secret or so to speak? Well, um, it comes from being very giving from the uh, onset and, uh, you know, being trusting of other people and being open about what you're doing and what yourself and just being willing to talk to anybody who, who asks you a question. I think, um, you know, I, I don't think I ever, especially in the early years, it's a little harder to keep track of now because, you know, there are so many things coming from all different angles, but you know, when in the first, you know, five years of the site, you know, I would get emails every day from bloggers or people who were thought about starting a blog and they'd ask for help. Uh, one of the things I did was I, you know, I was I I was able to kind of uh, host other blogs for free, give them a way to kind of share their voice with the world without having to pay, you know, a fee to host their site somewhere. Uh, it was really important to me to to really give to a community uh, in order to, well, first of all, create that community and second of all, foster it once it's kind of all there working together. So I, a lot of the projects that I did alongside consumerism commentary had that in mind. Um, there's um, a carnival of personal finance, which is a little old by today's standards, but it was one way that, you know, blogs could promote each other um, back in the days that that was a good thing to do. Um, there was uh, pfblogs.org, which was a site that for free and, you know, without making any money on other people's content would, you know, be able to present, um, you know, a, uh, a feed of what was going on throughout the personal finance blogosphere. And then there was um, there's the, um, the Plutus Awards, which is project. It's a project that's five years old. It's ongoing. And every year at FinCon, uh, the FinCon Expo, which is for it started off being for financial bloggers, but now it's for all financial media. And it's an award ceremony that um, that puts a lot of attention on independent financial writing. And it's it's a way to kind of, you know, give back to the community at the same time, raise the profile of the community. 
And these are all things that are important to me. And it, it, it helps, you know, kind of, although it helps kind of, uh, identify myself as a leader in this community, that's not really what it's all about. It's all about, um, doing something for everybody so that it raises everybody's profile. So I'd like to get your advice on on building a, a, an online community today, this day and age. If if you were to start a brand new blog today, let's say a business blog, uh, how would you how would you go about differentiating yourself and to try to start to build a community around your blog? Well, I guess the first thing is that um, I'd really focus in on what your mission is. Um, uh, what your mission is and who your audience is. And I think, you know, today to say a business blog probably isn't specific enough to really get a lot of people's attention unless you're just a fantastic writer and a fantastic marketer that is that has, you know, lots of connections to get people, you know, a, acutely aware of what you're doing. Okay. So I'd, I'd narrow things down to be as specific as possible. You've got... Um, I mentioned, um, you know, narrow down your focus. And one thing that one thing that you want to do right away is come up with a mission statement that kind of defines exactly what you're going to be doing um, and why you're doing it. Uh, if there is some kind of need for, you know, your voice, you have to explain why that is in a sentence or less. And that's really what a mission statement does. Um, I think, uh, you know, the other thing is to identify uh, very specifically who your audience is. And the good thing about the Internet is that your audience can be very specific and still be large because there are, you know, uh, I don't know, what is it, 8 billion people in the world who, uh, and many of them, you know, maybe half of them, I don't know. There, there's still a large number of people who have connections to the Internet and are able to read the, the you know, if you're writing in English, they're able to read the site. So, you have a, a huge potential audience, even even when you narrow down your focus to be very specific. Um, and to narrow down that audience, you probably want to create in your mind, you know, who the typical person is who is reading your site and, and always kind of write towards that person every time you write, um, every time you write your articles about business or whatever it happens to be. Okay. Now, you you have been uh, featured in many A-list publications, Money Magazine, New York Times, Business Week, the list goes on and on. How did you manage to get noticed? Uh, you know, it's so much out there. You know, I mean, it's one thing that you started very early or actually you were there? the first one. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Um, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can I you can hear, hear me? You. Yeah. Now, now you're back. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about this internet connection. I don't know yeah. what's going on. Do you have maybe something running on the background? I'm not sure. Um, no, this is um, this is totally clear. Okay. Anyway, so can you hear me now? Good. Yeah. Okay. So basically, Mike, I don't know how much you heard, but I was talking about some of the publications that you were featured in: Money Magazine, mm -hmm. New York Times, Business Week, so on and so forth. How, what is your advice on getting noticed uh, in the media? Because I, I do believe that it's very important for all of us to, to try to get featured. Uh, what is your advice on, on trying, to get, trying to get noticed? Well, there's a couple of pieces of advice that I have. One is to be the only person doing what you're doing. Um, if, you're, if, that's the, if that's the case, then you're going to get noticed. Um, now, in in my case, I was one of the earlier bloggers in terms of personal finance. So when uh, when traditional media wanted to do a story about blogging itself, I was one of the 
people that they naturally came to. Um, aside from that, you know, that's that's a lot harder to do in the personal finance space right now. But the people who are successful at that right now are the people who are making and building relationships um, beyond just other bloggers. And they're working with, you know, they, they've been communicating with traditional media. Um, you know, they've been communicating with the with the people who are their, you know, their their authoritative uh, authoritative idols for instance you know writers you know published writers and you know being part of that community um is is essential to kind of you know you know you've got to interact with them and once you start doing that if they like what you have to say if you're if you're viewed as being on the level with them then they're going to come to you when they have other projects that they that they could use you for and um you know i think it's i think it's really helpful uh, one of the things that worked out for what I was doing is I started a podcast, um, you know, many years ago uh, on consumerism commentary. And one of the focuses I had in the podcast it was not for me to just sit there and talk for half an hour about myself or what about what I was doing. Um, you know, the talk radio is, you know, kind of that that works well. I mean, you know, there's a lot of money in talk radio, but what I found more interesting was to have people on the show who were, you know, smarter than me, or they were doing something that I wasn't doing, uh, or they were publishing a book, or they were having, you know, they're having some some kind of success in what they were doing, have them on the show, and they would be a featured guest. And so I would interview them and ask them questions, just like we're doing here. Um, and that really, you know, gave me a lot of, um, it gave me a, a big opportunity to talk to a lot, uh, a lot of people that I respect in this field. And, you know, just continuing the conversation with them afterwards and staying in touch and, you know, building those relationships, um, you know, it's very satisfying for me personally uh, to do that. Um, it's also helpful to consumerism commentary and the brand, but that's almost secondary because, you know, I'm the kind of person who likes having strong relationships with people. I'd like to ask you about writing and keep writing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a challenge for, for people to stay motivated, to find things to write about. How, I mean, you've done this for, for over 10 years, so obviously you have this figured out. Do you have any tactics or strategies on how to stay motivated and how to keep you know, coming up with new topics to write about? It's funny that you asked that. I was at a conference last year, and uh, one of the speakers at the conference uh, was a, a radio host of a financial show that is on, you know, a national radio station. And you know, basically, she said right there to, to the three thousand people in the audience, there are only six stories in personal finance. Six. Okay, so I might as well quit because you know I've been doing this for ten years, and I'm sure I've written more than six stories. Um, you know, it's it's. There, there's there's always something to write about um, for me. I always, uh, there's always something. Whether I choose to get a, out of bed and actually do that on a day-to-day -day basis is a different question. But there are always stories out there. There's always some new angle to take. I mean, it may not be a new angle, and there's going to be someone who says, yeah, 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 it's all the same. I've heard this before. But your audience might not have heard that perspective before. Or you may not have considered that perspective before, and now you're looking at an issue from, you know, under a different light. And I think that there's always something to say if it's something that you're passionate about. Um, you know, people get – it's still easy to get kind of uh, burnt out when you're writing a lot. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – my, my 
approach for that is to just take a step back and relax for a bit. You don't have to be writing constantly. You don't have to write every day. You can wait until the inspiration hits, uh, but you want to make that inspiration come a little quicker. And, uh, you know, one way to do that is just by, by reading a lot. I find that reading every day helps me come up with things that I want to write about. Now, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs that prevents them from succeeding or it slows down their success or derails them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think focusing on the wrong things or trying to do it all um, at the same time um, can, uh, can really derail efforts, mostly because you get, you, it's easy to, it's easier to get, um, uh, it's easier to get, um, you know, unsatisfied, dissatisfied with yourself. If, if you feel yourself putting lots of time and effort into a project and not seeing the results that you expect. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, poor expectations in the first place, uh, for writing online. Uh, you know, a lot of people will look at themselves and say, I've been doing this for three years now. Why aren't I as big as this other blogger who has been doing it for one year or has been doing it for six months? You know, I, I think there's, there, there, it can really get to you if, if you're that type of person who, who is, uh, who's interested in comparing yourself to the success of other people. So the more you stay away from those comparisons, I think the better you'll do. And the more you're able to, to, to focus solely on the one thing that you want to do, the better off you'll be. So if that means, you know, hiring someone to do your PR or hiring someone to do social media or getting help to sell advertising, there are so many different things that you can do um, in order to allow yourself to concentrate on the, the aspect of your business where you'll have the most impact. And for me, that's writing. Um, I never had any success um, working with guests uh, or working with staff writers on consumerism commentary. Um, you know, that's it's a great plan for people who, who do that. But consumerism commentary was more successful when I was the one, you know, when it was my voice every day that people re were reading. So the staff writer approach didn't work for me. I wasn't able to outsource the writing, but I outsourced other parts of the business so that I could focus on the writing um, to, to really grow the site faster when I needed to grow it faster. Uh, Luke, I just have a couple of more, more questions. I hope that sure. yeah, we went over a little bit, so I'm sorry about that. No, that's but okay. If, if, you could, if somebody came to you, let's say somebody from your family or somebody, maybe a, you know, a good friend that has a job now but sees your success as, a, as an entrepreneur and says, you know, I want to become an entrepreneur, what would be the first thing you would teach them about entrepreneurship? Probably to have realistic expectations. I mean, just because I've succeeded doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody um, within their expectations. I think, you know, there's the there's a draw to entrepreneurship. I mean, these days it in the American society, it's just perfect. It's what everyone wants. They want to live by nobody's rules. They want to make their own future. They want to be financially independent. And all of these things are good things. It's just that entrepreneurship doesn't really answer some of those issues. Um, you know, people want to quit their job because they say, oh, I can do so much better when I'm working for myself. I don't want to answer to anybody anymore. But guess what? You have a business and you're answering to even more people. You're answering to your clients. You have to deal with, um, you have to deal with the market. You have to deal with all these different aspects that affect your business. And if you think that 
you know, working for yourself is going to present you with some kind of freedom, you know, away from a boss, then then that's just wrong. I mean, entrepreneurship is all about, you know, trying to figure out how you can best serve people and, you know, servitude, servitude right there. I mean, you know, um, at least working for a job, you're you're told what to do. And if you do it well, then you're succeeding. An entrepreneur, you have to figure all of that stuff out for yourself. And it is not as, you know, freedom inspiring that people will make it out to be. And another thing is that entrepreneurs, you know, people will uh, – you know, there are books written about how, you know, the only successful people, the only millionaires are, you know, business owners. Well, guess what? There are a lot of business owners who uh, do not succeed. They fail. And if they fail enough times at owning their own business, then they're going to go back. They're going to go back and get a job because they have to get a job. Suddenly, all these people who have failed have fallen out of the statistics of business owners. So when people say that, you know, let's say they say, you know, 50% of business owners are millionaires or something like that, and I'm just making that number off the top of my head. Well, you're forgetting about all the people who have stopped being uh, business owners because it did not meet their expectations. And uh, I wrote an article about survivorship bias recently, and that's that's what that is. So it's it's about having these realistic expectations up front and not not seeing the success of outliers like myself, um, you know, and thinking that it's, you know, that's something that's easy to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of hard work involved. And, um, you know, there's, you know, if, if you can match all of that up with talent, then it might work for you, but there are no guarantees. You know, it's interesting that I interviewed a lot of people and none of, none of the entrepreneurs ever put it the way you put it. And, and I, I, I you know, it's really interesting because I really agree with you uh, that a lot of people think that it's kind of an escape to become an entrepreneur. You know, they're fed up with their bosses. They're fed up with their jobs. And somehow they think that all that will go away. But actually, personally, I've owned my own business for 10 plus years. And I think it's a lot harder than working for somebody. So if somebody goes into a business because they think it's going to be easier, I think they're going to be rudely <laughs> awakened very fast. Yeah, I think what you find is that the people who say it's easy are all selling something, and it's probably a book about how to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, every, everybody's selling something. So I have, you know, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you have to take all of this advice that you hear about being an entrepreneur or starting your own business or, you know, starting a blog, even even starting a blog, um, you know, you have to take all of that with a grain of salt because everybody's selling something. And sometimes what they're selling is a vision of life that's a little more um, a little more, you know, roses and rainbows than than it really is. Can you give us a couple of book titles that helped you with your business? Um, I can't think of any books that helped me with my business. Um, How about I, websites or tools that helped with your business? Yeah, I, there, there isn't much. Um, you know, I again, you know, I didn't start my site as a business. I kind of fell into it, um, and it worked out well. But the things that, you know, I experienced, I don't think there's any book that would have helped with it. I think it's, you know, I, I think there are some technical things um, that you can learn that would help. Um, you run a business from, you know, kind of the administrative side of things, but none of that is going to 
help you uh, be passionate about something or help you have a talent or help you identify a need in a market that matches something that you're really interested in. Um, I, I would, you know, stay away from a lot of, a lot of books and things like that. Um, unless, unless they're, unless they're related specifically to what you're doing and written by someone who has some success, but even that's only going to go so far. It's going to tell you how one person did it. It really isn't going to tell you what path is right for you. Again, a very interesting point of view. And finally, can you give us some last words of wisdom uh, for somebody that's either starting now or somebody that maybe has a business, but they really want to take it to that next level? Uh, what would be your advice to them? Um, uh, my advice to them would be to uh, give out whatever they're, you know, expecting to take back in. If they want to see, you know, their site come to success, um, you know, put themselves out there and, you know, encourage the success of other people who are also starting out. Um, find a community, build a community. If one doesn't exist, start it. Um, you know, really be involved. Um, on a personal level with everything that's going on around you. Don't imagine yourself in a silo working on your business with, you know, kind of in this vacuum of existence where no one else is around. I think you've really got to be aware of everything that's going around you and incorporate it into what you do. Sounds good. Uh, Luke, how can people connect with you? Sure. Um, they can come to my site, uh, my personal site at lukelandis.com, or they can visit, you know, where I'm continuing to write at consumerismcommentary.com. And I'm on Twitter as well, uh, Luke underscore Landis. Uh, so those are all ways for people to reach out to me if, if they're interested in what I have to say. And of course, email Luke at LukeLandis.com. Luke, I very much appreciate your time today. And I hope that you come back maybe when you start something new and uh, share that uh, with us again. Sure, I'd love it. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you very much.